Hello, and welcome to the Matrix Breakers podcast. This is episode two, The Financial Matrix. The purpose of the Matrix is to enslave humanity in every way imaginable while giving the impression that you are free. Another major way the Matrix does this is through our finances. The Financial Matrix is in place to restrict our freedoms financially. Money is fundamental in exchanging value in the marketplace, which is foundational when living in a free society. If men, instead of resources, ever dictated the currency's value, it would surely mean an end to our financial freedoms. To understand the financial matrix, the first thing we need to do is define money. Any circulating medium of exchange, including coins, paper money, and demand deposits. A second definition is gold, silver, or other metal in pieces of convenient form stamped by public authority and issued as a medium of exchange and measure of value. Notice how money plays the role as a medium of exchange for goods and services that are offered in the marketplace. If the value of money were to go up or down, that would mean the ability for you to buy or sell would be fluctuated as well. Also, money is defined as being gold, silver, or other metal pieces. This is because there is a clear measurable value there. More than that, gold and silver are resources that are very difficult to find, and they are limited in terms of their resourcefulness. So you want to use an exchange of money, and you want to back it by gold or silver. Being that it's so difficult to find and it is limited in supply, it, it deems the worthiness of the currency. Now, this is important because the episode we're going to go into, we're going to talk about how men, instead of resources, do in fact dictate the value of our currency, especially here in America. So what we're going to do here, we're just going to go through some of the history and explain to you how this even occurred in the first place. Another concept of money is looking at money really as energy, okay? Money is spiritually considered energy on this planet. We can't really do much about that, okay? There is equal beauty in having an economic system with money being a medium of exchange. Money allows people the freedom to acquire goods and services that would otherwise not have been available to them. There are goods and services that you personally may not feel are valuable to you, but are extremely valuable to others. That's only possible in an economic-based society such as the one that we're in where money is deemed a medium of exchange. With this concept, you can use money as a tool to obtain goods and services that either increase your quality of life, i.e. books, education, investments, business, etc., or decide to use it to destroy your quality of life, i.e. cigarettes, alcohol, drugs, entertainment, sex, etc. This is the essence of freedom that is only possible in an economy where money is used as a medium of exchange. So in essence, money isn't completely corrupt or evil. It is extremely empowering. 
I'll even read the definition of money from the seven spiritual laws of success. Money is a symbol of the life energy we exchange and the life energy we use as a result of the service we provide to the universe. Think about that. Life energy. This is important because the matrix is trying to confuse us about money and is trying to dispose of any positive mindset towards money. Not only are they able to devalue our currency, which I will get into in detail, but they want to strip you of any ambition of wanting to accumulate more wealth in your life. You got to check your money mindset. You have to ask yourself these questions. What has the matrix seduced you to believe about money? Do you believe money is evil and only brings a worse quality of life? Or do you believe that money is a powerful tool that allows you to be a blessing in other people's lives? Most of the time, people believe that money is evil. They have this sort of compounded belief over time, whether it was family members or, you know, music or TV or shows whatever it is telling you that rich people are unhappy, rich people are sad, you know, all of that really is a part of I would what I would consider is the matrix going about that ambition, trying to attack your money mindset. In reality though, you have all the capability in the world to achieve the wealth you desire. It is heavily reliant on honoring principles of wealth which we will get into another time. I want this podcast to be both, yes, doom and gloom, but coming to an understanding of how the matrix works in our lives, but also empowering you to remove the shackles that the matrix has on you right now and move forward into the rest of your life. Now, to get into the history of money and understanding where we are, especially here in America with the Federal Reserve Bank and all of our money supply. I'm going to refer to a book. Yes, this is going to be a book called The Financial Matrix. I highly recommend that you read this book. It's not very long and it is so incredibly well-defined and it's impactful Because not only does it explain the financial matrix, but it also gives you a detailed way on how to escape it. Without further ado, I will read some of the highlighted portions that I've decided to share with you so that you can get an idea of what this book is going to cover. When you view the financial system through the lens of profits and control for the aristocratic elites and subsequent stress and oppression for the masses, you are beginning to see the outlines of the financial matrix. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 7 reads, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. When a person is in debt, he or she is in bondage. Lenders have the power to change the biblical golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Into a new golden rule. 
He who has the gold makes the rules. Now, of course, this is giving an opening to the book and the concept that there are aristocrats in control of our money supply. The financial matrix was formed when big governments and big banks killed the gold standard, commodity money, and rebooted the monetary system based on debt money. As people sell themselves into debt, the financial matrix increases its profits and control. Perhaps the biggest is that the aristocratic elites of every generation have sought to create a matrix to exploit the production of the masses. This may appear radical at first, but please bear with me while I explain several surprising discoveries. It goes on to say, in other words, the aristocratic elites seek methods to control the masses' production. Viewing history through this lens, I then studied my notes from the economic field and recalled the three factors of needed for all production, labor, land, and capital. This is key. So what he's recalling is if you got to understand the financial matrix, you need to understand that financial being capital is only one out of three means of production. The other two, in addition to capital, is labor and land. Needless to say, the financial matrix was not the aristocracy's first matrix of control, but rather the third one created after the first two matrices collapsed. Curiously, most people are likely familiar with the other two matrices of control, the physical matrix, labor slavery, and the feudal matrix, land serfdom. This is interesting because, yes, we can be up in arms about the financial matrix that we exist in today, but this is not the first time that the elites have taken advantage of the means of production. And the book continues to go on about this to help you understand these other economical situations, but I just wanted to give you a simple version of it right there. When it comes to labor, obviously slavery is in your face, corrupt, and completely unethical. The control of land, however, gave this sense of freedom that the serf would feel because, yes, they are plowing the land and giving 50% of what they uh, conjure up from their crops to the king, and in return, they would get protection from the king's knights. There was still an essence of slavery there as well, because at the end of the day, the king still owned the land, and half of what you earn is quite a bit if you do the math. And so now we're talking about the financial matrix, or better yet, the capital control. In order for the elites to control the masses' production, they must do so by controlling one or more of the three factors of production. Not surprisingly, history reveals the aristocracy used each of these three factors of production in building the three main control matrices used throughout history. Moving forward to another part of the book, it's called The Creation of Money. 
Money was created by society as the most marketable commodity to use as society's medium of exchange. This improved the speed at which goods and services were traded in a win-win fashion within society. This benefited all producers of goods. Precious metals, in particular gold and silver, were the preferred forms of money because they were scarce, easily divisible, mobile, and universally recognized. And since precious metals have a fixed quantity, which means they cannot be created out of thin air, and are difficult to mine, inflation, any increase in the total money supply, was low and predictable. Indeed, the rebirth of the gold standard commodity money fueled the growth of capitalism by increasing the division of labor and trade between peoples. Remarkably, for nearly 400 years, commodity money led to the creation of more wealth for more people than at any time in recorded history. Let's take a look at a few key points set in that passage. First, like we said in the beginning of this podcast, Money was created by society as the most marketable commodity to use as a society's medium of exchange. Very important, right? We want money. Money's good when it is backed by a resource, which goes to the other part of this passage, precious metals, in particular gold and silver. So because these precious metals were very hard to find and they only had a fixed quantity so there was only a certain amount of gold or a certain amount of silver, and that is very important when dictating the value of money, right? But lastly is something I want to really dive into, which is this quote. Indeed, the rebirth of the gold standard commodity money fueled the growth of capitalism by increasing the division of labor and trade between peoples. Think about that, guys. The idea that the gold standard and having money available and people could choose, get that again, that's that freedom. They could choose to buy or consume what it is that they wanted. And not only that, but there was competition involved because the producers were always trying to make a better product to beat their competitor. The idea that somebody, Anybody can have money, which is represented by the mineral and or uh, precious metal deposits that are available, is the most free that we could possibly be. Continuing to read, of course, the aristocrats attempted various methods to manipulate the money supply, but the gold standard tied their hands. Indeed, any time the people suspected the aristocrats of foul play, they could demand all payments in gold, forcing the aristocrats to pay in commodity money rather than in the fraudulent increased paper debt money. The gold standard acted as an automatic regulator to protect the masses against the manipulations of the elites because it forced the elites to redeem their paper debt money in gold commodity money whenever the paper holder demanded it. This on-demand gold standard redemption policy tempered the aristocrats' inflation manipulation ability because the elites feared the masses would cause a run on their banks if they suspected gold reserves. Or, I'm sorry, if they suspected fraudulent overprinting of paper notes compared to actual gold reserves. The gold standard 
was the last line of defense to protect the people from the elite's matrix of control over the third factor of pop production, capital. You guys, that is saying so much because if you understand this, which I'm sure for those of you honestly who are listening to this podcast, you kind of get it and I respect that. But what I am really trying to do is help people who don't understand economics and don't understand where money comes from and what money really is. This is for them. So be patient with me. We'll get through it together. Uh, Which, by the way, I'm just going to plug really quick. You can ask me any question you want or even give me more information on certain topics that I discuss here or just send me a, a topic requests or something through the matrixbreakers at gmail.com. So that's an email you guys can send at any time uh, and you guys can communicate with me through that as well. So really appreciate it. Want to hear from you guys, uh, but here we go. We're just going to continue uh, reading here. Unfortunately, with the start of World War I, the elites finally smashed through the gold standard and achieved their 400-year objective, the birth of the financial matrix through control of the third factor of production, capital. The liberty that had expanded for 400 years now began its long contraction in the vice grip of fiat debt money. Money not backed by precious metals. And fractional reserve banking. True, the wealth created over those 400 years was not lost overnight. But slowly, painfully, and exorably, debt money replaced commodity money and control replaced liberty. Economist Ludwig von Mises noted, Just as the sound money policy of gold standard advocates went hand in hand with liberalism, free trade, capitalism, and peace, so is inflationism part and parcel of imperialism, militarism, protectionism, statism, and socialism. The aristocrats' financial matrix created a system of indirect control of the masses' labor through the direct control of the medium of exchange needed by all using the capitalistic system. One can easily see the damage caused by the financial matrix by studying the lost value of the U.S. dollar since the 1913 creation of the Federal Reserve Banking System in the United States. The value of one U.S. dollar in 1913 is now worth less than four cents today. Put differently, it now takes $25 to purchase what a dollar could purchase in 1913. Dismally, however, inflation is just one of many injustices caused by the financial matrix. For the record, I will do an entire podcast later on about the Federal Reserve Bank. So for those of you who know a thing or two about it, don't worry, I'm not going to go through every piece of information there is right now. We're just going to leave it there. But just know that the Federal Reserve Bank is 80% controlled by European banks, and it is in fact not federal whatsoever in the United States, and it is no reserve of anything whatsoever. Not only that, but 
our money is no longer backed by gold. So yes, the Federal Reserve Bank is an elitist money supply that is then get uh, um, that is then loaned to America to use and then to pay back to the Federal Reserve in interest. So, better known as fool's gold. Which leads me to the next topic, fractional reserve banking equals fool's gold. When inflation is combined with an increase in personal debt, business debt, which increases prices, and national debt, which increases taxes, it's easy to understand why the masses across the civilized world struggle to keep their heads above water. Indeed, the government-sponsored fractional reserve system allows banks, in partnership with the central banks, to create the majority of society's money out of thin air. Unconscionably, the FRB, or the Fractional Reserve Banking System, permits the banks to create fiat debt money out of thin air, but forces borrowers to pay it back through the sweat equity of real production. It's as if the banks have been given a license to make fool's gold and act like it's real gold. Further, the banks create the fool's gold to loan to people who must pay back the loan plus interest with real gold or actual production. Fractional reserve banking in sum permits banks to create fool's gold to control the fools. Wow. So when you look and dissect this, you understand how the capital being manipulated by man, by somebody, by people, which we'll get into another time, you get a society that is always in debt and that actually has to pay back that debt with real production, meaning work, meaning, you know, however you work, however you obtain more money in the marketplace, you have to pay back this out of thin air fiat debt. It's unbelievable. And that really is the matrix. That is the essence of the financial matrix. It's this idea that you have and own nothing when you uh, look at your money, right? Now, thankfully, you can own assets. We're going to get into how to escape the financial matrix another day. But right now, we are just defining it and getting clear cut uh, as to what it is, how it works, and how we can look at getting out of it. So the financial matrix is the best form of control ever designed by the elites because it was so difficult to detect. Whereas it was easy to see the coercion involved in slavery or serfdom, few people understand that debt money is also coercion and one created out of thin air. Debtors are forced to pay back fiat loans through performing real work. If they don't, invariably, they are coerced into obeisance through threats of litigation, bankruptcy, or shame. The FRB system is the key to the financial matrix and why the latest matrix of control is the most effective one ever. Above all else, it's important to remember that the financial matrix system of control is dependent upon the creation of debt money. 
As a result, the financial matrix constantly promotes home ownership to feed the growing money supply. In fact, approximately two-thirds of all U.S. debt money is created through home mortgages acquired by people seeking to live the American dream by owning a house. Since 1950, alarmingly, the financial matrix has gutted home equity percentages, which is basically the amount of value remaining after subtracting all mortgages amounts owed, decreasing the equity from over 80% in the early 1950s to just over 30% today. This is nearly a 50% reduction in home equity siphoned out of the USA's $25 trillion housing market. This amounts to around $12.5 trillion, more than the U.S. national debt until a few years ago, of real asset value lost by U.S. citizens and gained by the financial matrix. And a similar financial storyline is occurring in all civilized nations. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel enraged to know that historically, the British lost the American Revolution only to recapture the United States through the creation of the Federal Reserve Bank. And it isn't just the British. There are other European powers involved in this. But the point is that America is not free when it is captured financially through this matrix of control. And so that is why understanding this in its wholesomeness is key to getting out of it. The truth shall set you free. Interestingly, it's the very complexity of the financial matrix money system that explains its overwhelming success. There are only a few people who even understand it, let alone know how to protect themselves. You are a part of the few people. Because you're listening to this podcast, you have now come to an understanding that probably 90% of the United States population even get. So this is what is so important. The financial matrix is complex, and that is why it is so massively successful. So now that we understand one major part of the financial matrix, which is this uh, concept that money isn't even backed by gold or any other precious metal. It is completely fiat. That is true for sure for the United States being the Federal Reserve Bank. Now it's time to look at how the financial matrix uses this fiat debt to then enslave humanity through their form of debt. The first form of debt that most people in the United States take on is student loans. You see, at 18 years old, you're a nitwit, you don't know how to do anything, you're leaving high school, and they force you, basically, into going to college as if it really truly is in your best interest. And then they have you take out money to pay for this massive institution, right? Hopefully, you get financial aid or scholarships, 
but the majority of that payment is going to be from loans. Now, we're not going to get into, at least today, the value of a college degree. I'm just saying that at 18, you can't get a car or you can't get a house, but you can take out 40 grand and pay for a four-year degree. The only thing I can say right now about the four-year degree or any degree in that, uh, for that matter is it is not an asset. An asset is something that is a purchase of some kind. It could be a TV even. An asset is something that you can actually sell and get money back. The issue with a degree of any kind is that the bank can never buy it back. You can't go to the bank and say, hey, you know what? I built myself a business. I'm an entrepreneur and I didn't need this communications degree to go work for some corporation. So I'd like to just return this degree to you, the bank, for my money back, maybe the 30 grand, to maybe invest in my own business or to buy a house. The bank would sit there and laugh at you. That is even worse debt. You not only have debt, which is already fiat paper money, not backed by anything, but now you don't even have an asset to return for the debt money that is already in place. The joke is on you. And for my personal experience, that is why I left college. It's because the debt I was accumulating was not asset rich. There was nothing to it that I could use towards possibly making an investment, um, you know, or buying a house or even buying a car or any purchase for that matter. The second major debt scam, in my opinion, is your marriage. No, I'm just kidding. But after you get married, which does cost a lot of money, you then buy a house, right? So you go and you get a mortgage. That used to be the largest debt that anybody would have, would obviously be a mortgage. Nowadays, people are more in debt to college than they are even buying a house, which again, the joke's on you. You own nothing when you have a college degree, yet you're in more debt at this point or more people are in more of that debt, let's put it that way, than they are when buying a house. See, because at least when you buy a house, you actually own some piece of property. But it's still a scam because once you buy a house, there are a lot of things that go with that. Not only is it property taxes every year, but you're kind of just stuck because you need to really just pay that off or you need to sell that house. And depending on the housing market, the ups and downs of all of that, you may not get out of that house if you needed to in a whip. You'd have to be in that house for a good little while in order to even be able to sell it in the first place. So again, another major way that the financial matrix cripples you, 
okay? The book was referring to the housing market and the value of some of the houses. He said it went from 50% asset value to lower than 30% today. Uh, and that has to do with inflation and other things. But the point is that overall, the second major debt is a house. But I would say also on the flip side of that is Renting an apartment forever is also not the best idea. So I'm not even advocating for never buying a house. I'm just saying that if you're going to buy a house, just realize that that debt that you're accumulating, you know, it is going to enslave you. You are going to have to work somehow, some means of production to pay back all of that debt, which the majority of you understand. But again, we're walking you through the financial matrix and how it uses its control to really break down society and cripple everybody financially. The last part to this financial matrix is credit card debt. While credit cards can be very useful, they also have a dual-edged sword phenomena with them because they can be very devastating as well. You can use a credit card for furniture, TV, entertainment, or you can use it for living expenses like groceries and gasoline. But what happens is you end up accumulating interest on those credit card debts and you have to pay them every single month. What's sad is that the majority of Americans, 77%, live paycheck to paycheck. And that's around that same percentage of Americans only have upwards of $500 in their savings. This is a sad, sad situation. This is mostly America, but I would also say the rest of the world. But with all of this debt, you are always paying bills. And really, most people end up dying with all of this debt still there. Thankfully, life insurance covers the majority of your debt once you are moved on from this life. While the rest of the life insurance hopefully goes to, you know, your family and maybe some very, very close friends or business partners. But I think that overall, it's just important to understand that, you know, credit card debt uh, with combined with mortgage and college debt makes the financial matrix. It's, it's essentially the foundation of how people are trapped in this matrix. The last aspect of the financial matrix is really broken down in Robert Kiyosaki's four quadrants. The number one quadrant that deals with how people earn money is by being an employee. An employee works for a corporation or small business and usually is paid by the hour. The second quadrant of people are self-employed. These are doctors, lawyers, or really any small business owners who run a bakery themselves or a restaurant of some kind. They're self-employed, which basically means that if they don't come in and work, they don't make any money, but they are better off in some ways than an employee because you know they don't work for someone else and they don't trade their time for money necessarily. They're actually able to make profits when you're self-employed. The third quadrant is being a business owner. Now, this is different. You would say, I mean, the same thing. Hey, if I own a small business, I am a business owner. Yes, but 
big business is what we're talking about. So big business deals with creating systems that monetize your business. That means that you have a, an incredible management team or you, you're able to make money in your sleep, meaning selling products online or services of, it, of some kind. Uh, that's big business, okay? The fourth quadrant is to be an investor. Investors overall, doesn't matter if you're in real estate or buying you know, mutual funds or stocks and bonds, you're making money work for you. So your money makes money. And so those four quadrants are sort of the bindings of how you earn money. Now, obviously, the last two are more or less where you want to be in terms of how you earn money. And then the first two, being the employee and self-employed, is kind of where you don't want to be. So again, I mentioned that because obviously it's very important to understand that, but that also explains the dynamics of the financial matrix because your earning power is important as well. In conclusion, that is the financial matrix. And hopefully by now, you understand what the financial matrix is and how it binds your life. In future podcasts, I'm going to go over how to break free from the matrix. The next podcast, however, is going to be about the spiritual matrix, and I'm really excited for that one. In the meantime, leave a review and let me know what you absolutely love about this podcast so far. And share this podcast with friends and family who you think would absolutely love it too. Thanks for listening. Peace.